78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, The Little Alamo Airbnb, Corazon Team, Austin Realtors, Two Wishes Ranch Event, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, and Birdie House Airbnb. Ethan Hawke said that most of us really want to offer the world something that matters, something that the world will consider good or important. But that's really the enemy, because it's not up to us whether what we do is really important. And if history has taught us anything, the world is an extremely unreliable critic. So you have to ask yourself, do you think human creativity matters? Is beauty a necessity or an ornament? It's not on the front of our minds until we encounter a great loss, lose someone dear to us, or someone breaks your heart and doesn't love us anymore. Then it becomes worth more than anything. In this episode, I'll speak to several artists about their work and examine this idea. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Jack Burton has emerged a powerful and beloved roots rock Americana singer and songwriter. Described as something as a cross between Nathaniel Ratcliffe and Mark Broussard, Jack's deep affinity for the musical heritage of the southern United States is unmistakable, both in his addictively engaging live performances and on his previously released EPs. Jack got a chance to come into the studio with his wife, Maya, and uh, do a song, and then later we got a chance to catch up on Zoom. Growing up in Lockhart, I guess we met, I was 16, you were 14? Yes. And uh, it's funny, my dad's, you know, was a dentist in Lockhart for 40 years, Dr. Burton, just right there by the old Dairy Queen, we would say, on Main Street. Uh, she would go to my dad, her mom would take her into the dentist office. I'm one of four brothers, and uh, she's one of two girls. And and they, she would say, I wonder if one of my girls will marry one of their boys. But we didn't end up meeting until high school high school uh so that was you know anyway and uh she was super cute and i've known his parents way longer than i've known him (laughs) yeah so and we became really good friends we were like theater together and um we actually met at first lockhart baptist church and uh so we were in the choir there did a lot of singing and theater stuff the minute i saw her i thought she was gorgeous uh but then you know we became i was in the friend zone for a long time trying to get her to go out with me yeah but so eventually he wore me down well i wore her down were you like peppy Le Pew a little bit and and you were like the the cat <laughs> the hard to get it <laughs> okay <laughs> that exactly is, like that, that is exactly the right <laughs> metaphor the right analogy um <laughs> yeah so in the music, uh, you know, we were both band nerds. She was a better band nerd than me. I started in percussion and then by ninth grade got out of that, but was always singing and stuff uh, at church. And then I didn't pick up a guitar until after high school. Um, and we started playing together in various formats because by then we were dating. And then not long after that, we were married. So, uh, so music's always happened together. But she was home tending the youngins, as they say, <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, early in our married yeah. life, yes, we started having kids quite quickly after we got mm-hmm. married, and so I was not 
doing much music except at church. So Jack would go have gigs and I didn't often get to go or perform with him. As the kids got older, um, I was able to join much more. And now I almost always play with him. Very rarely do we have a reason not to. But we did always make music together. I mean, you know, we were like worship leaders at churches and uh, things like that. So, was, you know, at least at least once a week, really, we were yes. singing together. I mean, now for the past 10 or 15 years, we've been, you know, doing on stage together. And we up in Austin, you know, we had a 10 piece soul and funk band doing original music and then, you know, playing covers for private events. Uh, so we did years of that as well. Then you decided to move to Spain. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? <laughs> You're the second couple I know from Lockhart that said, you know what, I'm going to move to Spain, to Valencia, Spain actually. Life was going really well in Austin. Um, but our family, our family time together at home with the kids, um, was just getting, you know, very sparse and, uh, we weren't very happy with that. So we kind of started thinking about how we could change that, how we could have more time together. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, we have seven kids, so it's, you know, that was when they were all little, and we were super broke and we didn't go out or anything. So we had this real tight knit family unit. And as they got older and got into band and football and all of that stuff on their own, you know, she became a taxi service and I was just, you know, it, it became, you know, I would go into Austin for work and then come back home uh, and she would finish taxiing them around to drop them off. And then it would be like, okay, kids, a pizza's coming, you know, and we were back into town for gigs. So like Maya said, the 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 quality time was becoming less and less because we were all just going different ways. So that was, you know, the one rub to the great life we were having. We, you know, we had two small businesses that were running well and two bands that were doing great. Seven kids, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always been a party and always been give and take. And you know, as they got older, they're all musical as well. So. Um, once we is that the next the next thing is the TV show that has the family band. You know? I hope so. Somebody contact us. We're available. <laughs> the, Burton, the, Burton, the Burton family. We haven't pressed them too hard because lots of people who had done the family band thing said, "Listen, let it be something they love and do on their own." But we we do we had more time for that after we moved to to Valencia. And so we do have several videos. We would always make like a Christmas song and play. So we have between Maya and our twins, we have a full horn line. We have trumpet, trombone and sax. Maya plays sax. And we've got, you know, a couple of drummers, keyboard player, uh, various. And then the cute, when the kids, the little guys were little, they'd hop around and, shakers shakers. and things. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that, that stuff has been a treasure to have the time to like in the pandemic, we would have kind of a daily rehearsal Maybe not daily, but we would try to get them to rehearse and say, let's let's do a Zoom show. And Yeah, we did a couple of concerts, one on the balcony for the neighborhood uh, during, during the, COVID. During, during lockdown. Yeah, because it was pretty intense lockdown in Spain. You were in Spain at that time? Yeah, yeah. it was very uh, a complete lockdown. You could not leave your apartment for two months. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah, we did a balcony concert with the kids yeah. and um we did an online one with them too. So that was a lot of fun. So all of those things from the move and, and uh, you know, that's all been 
just fantastic. I mean, having that, getting that family time together and then also going through the adventure, I'll say adventure or stress or the ups and downs, which are fantastic. Is, do you see similarities between kind of small Absolutely. town American life and small town Spanish yeah. life? One of the things I love just about Mediterranean culture, but Spanish culture, uh, you know, in particular is just, it's a little slower. It's, it's to me, it's more Southern. It's more like, you know, what we grew up being taught, you know, love your neighbor, the golden rule, people, uh, you know, are thoughtful of their neighbor. They're more polite. There's, it is a slower pace. And when you see somebody in the street, whether you're supposed to be at work in five minutes or not, it's totally acceptable. You know, you stop and have a conversation however long it lasts. And then you get to work and say, oh, I saw so-and-so. And your boss goes, oh, cool. You know, like <laughs> that's what it seems, you know, from the outside looking in. Or, you know, I've fallen down in the street on my bike and five people came and picked me up. You know, like I hit, clipped the curb and fell over. I won't throw you in. She fell down one I two. fell in the crosswalk <laughs> one time, too. <laughs> and, well, people just run and help. And, and it's not like that, doesn't it's, it's we have learned through traveling and i'm sure as you have that you know people are like that everywhere in kind but it's there's something about spanish culture that reminds us of growing up in lockhart the kids have had the run of our neighborhood like i did here in lockhart you know like we would just jump on our bikes and go wherever we wanted and valencia even though it's a city is is super safe and so we've you know been able to let the kids kind of learn that independence and yeah, it's been great. It, there's a lot of similar. There are a lot of similar similarities. And you're able to um, to gig in continental Europe a little more doing that, correct? Yeah. So that was also a big part of you know what we had hoped to do. So it's there that was ramping up, and then the pandemic kind of curtailed it for a while, and it's longer than then the way things bounce back in the U.S., like it really took, you know, some time. Things opened up like the first summer, but then very quickly they, the numbers rose again and shut back down. So it's, um, but yeah, so now we've, things are, are, are ramping back up. So we've done a couple of tours in Ireland and, you know, over the seven years that we've been there, we've done Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, and we play in Spain. So we are looking forward to doing more of that. I think one of the great things of being in Europe is the funding for the arts that still exists. And it depends on what country you're in, but like, you know, playing shows in Ireland um, or Northern Europe, you know, there's tons of uh, theaters that still exist. Um, as you know, but kind of that exist as community theaters, like it might be a small town. I love that that is still an important part of what taxes pay for and that it does say we find this to be valid important necessary so beauty is necessity is yeah i think that's massive and it's it's kind of i've been thinking how we elevate it above building roads and bridges or buildings or farming or whatever i think it's just cut into the dna i believe everybody's creative uh there's certain ways you know that that exhibits itself some people get more of a nurture or environment that that lifts that up in them as they're growing up and helps helps them become quote an artist but i think we had talked about you know i love comics comedians because they it seems like they have a lot of them a skewed vision on the world and it's great to hear their perspective because it opens up your mind or it's great to go 
to somewhere where they don't speak your language and you learn they think differently because they form sentences backwards or whatever, like Spanish is a little bit like that, or you think of Shakespearean English or Old English. So just think it's important. It's it's a great thing in the arts that that people say to the people who maybe are just digging ditches all day and don't have time to look up and observe, and maybe they're struggling or whatever, and you have a voice that might be real practical, like Dylan or whatever, to just say, this is the story of the hurricane or, or whatever, to tell the story so that you hear what's going on socially. Or you might have something more esoteric, like Radiohead, who you go, I don't know what Weird Fishes is about, but it makes me feel really good. And I also relate to the, you know, the tone of it. Art is for everyone, whether you're making it or whether you're mm. consuming it. And it's a way that we connect to each other as people. There's something either that we that we can create or that someone else has created that is a reflection of humanity. One, two. That I got too much ambition. Too many shadows to stand in. Too many fools grandstanding. You know she ain't on the level. Again, on top, she made a deal with the devil, yeah. Hard times, you never want to back down. So many times you made it happen. Call him the king of bootstrapping. You know he ain't on the level. Feel his pockets made a deal with the devil, yeah. Oh, well. Uh. Woo there'll be hell to pay. Oh, 
Jack Burton will be playing at Commerce Hall on August 11th at 8 p.m. Mike Tracy is the owner and operator of Lockhart Jiu-Jitsu here in Lockhart, Texas. And um, since they've opened, they've been dedicated to changing the lives of people uh, one person at a time through martial arts, education, and coaching. And they strive to provide a safe and comfortable welcoming atmosphere for all the students and family members. And they take pride in creating an environment for individuals to achieve and develop and succeed in their personal goals as well. I got a chance to speak with Mike at his studio regarding jujitsu and the mindset that goes behind it and find out that it's just as much of a mental practice as it is a physical practice. My name is Mike Tracy, owner of Lockhart Jiu-Jitsu here in Lockhart, Texas. I say a lot of things, jiu-jitsu is for everybody, but not everybody's for jiu-jitsu. As the same with art, right? Not, not everybody can draw, but everybody can enjoy drawing. Right. So people are here for different reasons. Some people are here um, for the meditation aspect. The difference between jujitsu and other martial arts is the live training aspect. If you go full on every day punching each other, you're, you're not going to you're not going to advance. Somebody's going to win. There's always going to be that barbaric pose to it. Right. You can come in here. You'll see I have a lot of ladies in here, but um, anybody can do jujitsu. It's that mindset of um, learning one thing at a time. And I tell everybody's one percent better. And um, obviously from, from the book here, but if you do one percent better every day, you're going to be 30 times, 37 times better than you were in 12 months. Versus the other way, you'll go to a negative exposure of not getting better. So um, it opens you up. So the meditation aspect is uh, I have a lot of the chiropractor, Doc Peterson, in here. I have um, some firefighters in here. Everybody comes to jujitsu for a different reason. Because of that meditation aspect, because of the meditation aspect of if I'm thinking about anything else other than this person trying to choke me or take my arm off, then I'm, I'm going to get my choke or take my arm off. There's a form to that of, of art that is displayed with control and uh, it's very simple, basic strokes that I say a black belt is uh, just a white belt that does the fundamentals really great. And then you branch off that. It becomes your own, um, like my son. My son's 19 or 20 now. Um, he's been training since he was six, six seven years old. And um, it's, it's complete. When you see him, it's like a, a, a mastery of art when, with what they do on the mat. The purpose of meditation is to, to be focused on either absolutely nothing or like one sound. Um, when you come in here, it's that one thing you're thinking about. I'm thinking about, I'm trying to, trying to sweep this guy right now, right? And that person's only only thing is I'm not I'm trying not to get swept right now. I like to describe jujitsu as like a lawyer doing a court case. We shut off all these open doors and then I submit you on one occasion. So we start from a standing feet. I take you down, sweep, I take you down with the throw. I'm trying to help these people grow and learn and become, you know, the self-confidence um, is, is the biggest thing. And uh, we, that's why we do the bully program. I say that, why do kids bully other kids? Usually lack of uh, self-confidence or... Yeah, or, lack of self-confidence, yeah. right? Why do kids allow people to be bullied them? Also lack of self-confidence. Lack of self-confidence, <laughs> right? And that's an easy sell to... They're not trying to sell, but that's why jujitsu sells is because it's real. I'm in here, build your kid up. I'm not going to come in here, your kid's not going to be a dummy. You know, you're not kids are not, uh, we're, we're not an MMA gym trying to hurt each other. That's the thing. Nobody's ever been hurt here. I haven't had anybody um, seriously injured or hurt, and I... I do that because of the way that the art's taught. You can find out more about Lockhart Jiu-Jitsu on their website, LockhartBJJ.com. La Sonora Explosiva Dynamita is a Colombian and Mexican musical group that plays cumbia, a tropical music genre from Colombia, but popular throughout Latin America. 
As one of the first cumbia groups to reach international success, it is credited with helping to popularize the genre throughout Latin America and the world. While the group's lineup has changed, it has always featured a strong female vocalist to accompany its 10-piece brass instrumentation. I got a chance to talk to the band here in Lockhart at Commerce Hall. La cumbia nació en Colombia, pero llegó a México hace como unos 15 años y de México se hizo como una explosión y se difundió ya en todo el mundo. Ya. Pero el folclore comenzó en Colombia y como todo género musical siempre va evolucionando poco a poco. Total que ahora hay una diversidad de la misma cumbia. Hay cumbia tejana, cumbia mexicana, cumbia colombiana, cumbia salvadoreña. En fin, todo va evolucionando, pero uh, el, el, en fin, siempre cae en el género de lo que es la cumbia. So it has, it has several different forms, right? Yeah, it has, it, that's what he's saying. It has different forms, but the original roots came from Colombia, but then it was 15 years, 50 years ago, and then uh, from there they have a different uh, rhymes, but it's cumbia. It could be from Central America, which is El Salvador, but still called cumbia, in Mexico, they have cumbia, and, you know, Texas make they still have cumbia. So it's just different, the rhyme, by, but it's still cumbia. That's, yeah. Right. And, and, and does the Texas version of it, does it have its own flavor and rhyme that's different than Mexican and, and Colombian? It's different for the instrumentation. Ellos ocupan acordeón, ocupan bajo sexto, ocupan guitarra, guitarra cosas así. Y, pero en sí, el ritmo siempre se mantiene cumbia, cumbia. Sí, yeah. So the beat's the same. The, beat the, the instrumentation is different. Yeah, because they have, a, exactly, that's what you understand, yeah. yeah. They have a, they, they, in the text mix, they have guitar, they have a, a sax. Did you say sax? No. Accordion. Accordion. Guitar. And then in, in here, for example, that this is uh, Colombian, they don't have sax, they don't have, they only have trumpets. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, we have trumpet. Yeah, yeah. They, they have trumpets, trumpet. yeah. So you, you guys have trumpet. Yes. And, and not sax. No. No sax. Okay. So it's, that's a little bit of a trumpet. Yeah. True trumpet. That's interesting. They um, have two trumpets. Two, two trumpets. trumpets ten, yeah. Tonight. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the other thing is this, and I don't know, but it would seem that this band, your band, uh, has two female leads. And um, is that unique? No, it, it's or is not. That, is that just something is that, that you've chosen to do that people... He's the one that, that, that make the decision to have two uh, singer females, and she came alone as well. And, but she, yeah, she, and play the trumpet, right? Yeah. No, she only do the just trumpet. trumpet, okay. Mm -hmm. And they're the two singer, but... Most of the, let's say, something similar to where we are right now, they only have one, one female and one male, like a, like, a, like a vocalist. But then everybody else is, you know, different. Yeah. But it this, depends on how they want to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. but this band has two female two singers. Two female singers, yeah. And then also a male singer? Yeah, he's the one that he and he. They're okay, both so singers. two and two. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there harmonies with that? Male harmony and then female harmony? Yeah, yeah they're harmony? different. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Each one they have a, an each different in each song. If it's a, let's say Chief uh, is singing the song, they they do a second like they say she's gonna be the first voice. They do like a second voices. But in most of the songs, all four voices they are included in, in the one song. It doesn't need, if you know it's, on, it's never doing to see only her or him singing. It's 
All right. three voices. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's, this isn't cumbia, but I'm a big fan of, of the three part harmony of Los Panchos. Mm -hmm. I love the. the uh, oh, Los Panchos. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, it's different and more traditional. Yeah. That's more but traditional. But I do love the, the thick vocal. Yeah, you know, the vocal so. is different, and plus, you know, that's a melody that was back in the, what, 40s or 50s? Right. That's when it was, right? Los eran como los It's kind of relaxing music. Is there ever a time in cumbia that you're, like in American music, you know, it's kind of built on that tradition, so you had your, you had your, big band, and you went into rock and roll and folk, and then we, we never really regained those harmonies from the, from the big band era the big again. Does, is that happening here, or are you retaining them? No, they're retaining a lot of the, the original song they're retaining because they do, it's like, uh, they do a lot of uh, music that was from the original band that was on the 60s and 70s, so they have... Every time they perform, they try to keep that in every song that they do. Okay. Yeah. So the song, the song wise, are the songs older or reinterpreted? We got older, yeah, some of them, and then, then when we got a hit, that now we won't include into the repertoire, mm -hmm. and then we add, add and, and, and keep. Keep the, 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 the traditional music. Yeah, keep the tradition and they, they perform. Or sometimes they do some, you know, adjustment like maybe a little bit different, like sounds like, uh, you know, just to update it because sometimes, you know, like it's good to make some updates in the music, but <coughs> they keep the, the roots because that's the, how the people listen. Always, you know, you want to listen the song like you original listen to the first time. So they try to make it, you know, simple. Right. Yeah, okay. but they do have some covers as well from the other from other people too as well. They do have performed and they do have songs from other people, not only from the original Sonora Dinamita, but they do have do some covers. Okay, to cumbia. They, have, to yeah, they, have, they make the switch to cumbia. Yeah, okay. depending what kind of people we have on, on the party. Yeah. Yeah. Some Mexican local music, we try to get our music and then out of Mexican cumbia. So right. okay. keep, keep them happy. Yeah, that makes sense. So my final question is, you guys have, are pretty well known for, for, for cumbia in, right. in Texas and, and beyond and abroad. Yeah. So what are you, what are, what are, what are your next steps for you guys? Like, what, are you working on any kind of record or like just, would you like to talk about that? We yeah, got, they, they planning on doing some. Eh, en verdad, nosotros somos la Sonora Explosiva Dinamita, ese es el nombre de nuestra agrupación. Y representamos la música no solo de Colombia, sino que trabajamos para todo el mundo. No importa si sean mexicanos, si sean europeos, si sean australianos, no importa qué clase de gente. La gente nos acepta con un estilo que tenemos propio de tocar la música cumbia eh, a lo que es la sonora. Eso es el concepto de nuestra agrupación. Tenemos también metas a futuro porque estamos trabajando en arreglos personales, música original que ya próximamente se hará, a su tiempo se dará a conocer en los medios. Y actualmente también traemos covers de la música que la gente ya conoce, como decir El Viejo del Sombrerón, como decir Mi Cucu, Suavecito, Suavecito, que la interpreta muy bien la voz de Lluvia. 
eh, canciones así como las que vienen próximamente, como Qué gusto de volverte a ver en la voz de Ceci Cardona, canciones como La Troquita, que la canta el señor Juan Andrade. En sí, cada quien tiene una personalidad en la agrupación y eso es bien aceptado por el público. Okay, I understood some of it, but could you Okay, what he's saying is that he, they're, they're working on have a, a new release soon, and also he was saying that it's not only cumbia that they perform, as I told you before, because, for example, uh, Mr. Juan here, he plays on uh, music from another band, Obsession, which is very, very well known, and then Yuvia, it's... Uh, she sings Suavecito, Suavecito, which is for another lady, Laura Leon in Mexico, very well known as well. And then Ceci here as well, she performs Escándalo and another song that they're for another people that they're, they're not really cumbia. So, but here the director has made the switch to cumbia so that people know the song, but they don't know as a cumbia. They probably know another, um, another you know, type of music. But then he made a switch to cumbia, so the people listen it in cumbia. And he said that uh, they're working on a hit coming soon. And as he said, they perform all, they, they play all kind of music, not only cumbia right. for the Mexican people, but they have from Central America people, from some even from uh, South America, and some of them they're well known here in the United States as well. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking time to answer my questions. No you know, problem. It, thank it's you. It's interesting to learn about what what it is Salud. from your point of view. So, mm -hmm. much gusto. Yeah. No, and and muchas gracias. Saludos al señor. ¿Cómo es su nombre? Vamos a mandar saludos al señor, ¿cómo se llama? Domingo Sánchez. Domingo, Domingo Sánchez, el del Rey Night Club. Gracias. Saludos para él de parte de la Sonora Explosiva Dinamita. 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 You're saying hi to me. Sí, sí, sí. ¿Cómo se llama? Stephen Collins. Stephen Dicen que vino Tito, pero es un rojo a mi carrito, es un último modelo. Él siempre anda conmigo donde quiera, voy mi carrito, porque él es mi compañero. Ese carrito es mi vida, de nunca he tenido queja. Cuando consigo una chica, él me lleva donde quiera. Cuando consigo una chica, él me lleva donde quiera. Señorita, a la orden la llevo. No, gracias. Estoy esperando al viejo del sombrerón. Uh, Yuguta, no me diga. Qué viejo tan afortunado. Ay, llegó, vea. El viejo del sombrerón. Ese viejo se sí de buena. El viejo del sombrerón. Para conseguir mujeres. El viejo del sombrerón. Sombrero, ese viejo si sí la mueve. 
comprarme un sombrero Un sombrero bien alón Pa' hacerle la competencia Al viejo del sombrero Señorita de mi alma Tengo una preocupación Porque está tan entregada Al viejo del sombrero put on a fantastic show at Courthouse Nights and next Courthouse Nights will be on August 18th that's a Friday with Talking Heads tribute band Heartburn don't miss it the phone rings 9.35 and he goes uh, hello this is this text ad I said yes sir this is uh, this is Hank Williams Jr. um I need to place an order. I need to talk to Joella, because uh, I believe she's the daughter to Manny Gamage. And I'm like, Hector, shut up. I know it's you. And she goes, excuse me? This is, isn't this Hector? And he goes, no, this is Hank Williams Jr., Mr. Bo Cephas. And I'm like, oh, Mr. Williams, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I, I have friends that call, and they try to pull my leg early in the morning. And this is about the time he calls. And I, I really apologize. I'm sorry. No disrespect. And then she goes, hey, it sounds like you got the same kind of friends as I do. No good. <laughs> and it's so good. It was in the morning. It was Hank Williams. It really was Hank Williams. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Lockhart has become a destination outside of Austin. I think people from San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston are starting to learn about Lockhart. It's not just about barbecue. It's also about live music. Um, it's about art. It's about a community that's coming together, and there's a lot of excitement on the square. I purchased this house in 2021, 
and I loved it because it has great architecture. It was built in 1925. During the 1960s, it was purchased by Marcus Haynes, who is a Harlem Globetrotter. There is a garage apartment next door to it as well, and it has kind of a New Orleans feel look to it. We put ferns out has the wrought iron. Both of these properties sit on a third of an acre, just off the square in Lockhart. What are you waiting for? Book your stay at the Little Alamo B&B in Lockhart, Texas, like today. Well, they've had a little technical difficulty with the chopper over the last couple of months, but they have gotten it running. And uh, so that means it's time for Eye in the Sky. <laughs> That's right, Billy Chimes here, back up here with your 78644 Eye in the Sky. We're going to have a big one this weekend, and don't forget, it's H-O-T. <laughs> That's right, your three T's. If you're going to be down there by the uh, BFW, we got a big one at the Expo Center this one weekend. We got two great country stars that are coming up. I'm not even going to name because that's going to be a surprise show. Then on Sunday, that's right, Blue Oyster Colt with a little Alice Cooper to treat you off with the headliner there. Don't forget, go down and get your tickets. If you're going to get your tickets, get that to 78644 headquarters. That's right down there on Church Street. But we're back up here in the iron sky, and I'm going to tell you, no one's out. No one's out. I'm going to go ahead and say it's hotter than Chaparral coffee. And that's a hot, hot mess to handle. You know that. This helicopter's flying around. I'm sitting here doing nothing but looking at swimming pools and pavement, baby. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Don't forget, if you're going to get on that bike, I would say do it around dusk because it's uh, <laughs> hot, 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 hot. That's right. Up here in the eye in the sky. Always, always, always. Don't forget KRXOZ, that's right. Yours truly, uh, yeah, 7864. Yours on that classic FM station. We want to take a moment to pay respects to Al Dresden, who passed away this past weekend. As some of you may recall, he was kind enough to join us on episode two and talk to us about his passion for Western swing music. He was an expert in the subject and a talent in his own right. He could hold court telling his stories about the Texas Playboys or how important it is to carry on Western swing as a tradition. And he'll be truly missed as his impact on the Texas music scene will always be remembered. We hope you're swinging low in the great beyond, Al. Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily, and our stories called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to find out when our next episode is out. We want to remind folks about our 78644 Friends program. What are 78644 Friends? Well, they are super fans who believe that supporting musicians goes beyond just attending shows. It's about ensuring their return by tipping the band. To address the disparity musicians face in earning a living in today's world, we've initiated a program where you can make a monthly donation of $5 or more, and guess what? We will give 100% of your contribution back to the musicians who have played on our podcast. That's right, 100%. Supporting your favorite musicians has never been easier. Head over to 78644podcast.com, click the subscribe button, and sign up for $5 or more a month. It's the cost of just a couple of tacos. 
As a token of our gratitude, you'll be invited to exclusive 78644 hangs every month, where exciting perks will await you. Past perks have included paying your cover at shows or offering a complimentary drink or gifting a swag bag to you. And that's not all. As a subscriber, you will receive a special link to a password protected playlist featuring all the original music from our show. This includes unreleased songs captured at the Troubadour Image and Sound Studio, and it's an opportunity to enjoy exclusive tracks all in one place. So don't miss out on the fun. Sign up today and secure your spot on the invite list and support the incredible musicians who bring their talent to our podcast. And remember, always tip the band. Your contribution makes a real difference in their lives. It's time for 78644 News, Wednesday, August 2nd. The Pearl will have Stony Gable from 7 to 9. Thursday, August 3rd, Old Pal will have the Halliana Residency from 7 to 9 p.m. El Ray will have karaoke night starting at 8 p.m. Friday, August 4th is First Friday. Fiddler's Green will have their new grand opening. The shop party will be from 5 to 8 p.m. The Pearl will have First Friday with the Michael James Trio from 8 to 10 p.m. Old Pal will have Callaway Rich and the Prickly Pears. That's 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Craft will have Joe Bob's Bar and Grill Band from 8 to 11 p.m. Baker Theater will be having the 9 to 5 musical starting at 8 p.m. Commerce Gallery will have Christy Stallop, Addie Russell, and Mitch McGee in their gallery. Saturday, August 5th, Old Pal will have the sidetracked residency starting from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Craft will have Evan Charles, J.D. Clark, and Ryan Quiet, 8 to 11 p.m., $10 entry. Baker Theater will have the 9 to 5 the musical playing at 8 p.m. Sunday, August 6th, The Pearl will have the Sunday matinee with Candace Hastings and Marty Sosby from 3 to 5 p.m. Baker Theater will be the last day of 9 to 5 the musical starting at the 2 p.m. matinee. Lodoff Fannies will have Ethan Ford and special guest from 1 to 3 p.m. And that's it for 78644 News. Chris Dye is a friend of mine, a musician, songwriter who lives in Lockhart, Texas, and actually moved here shortly before I got here. Uh, we've been friends doing all kinds of creative projects and music together since then. Uh, Chris also works in stage production and special effects in the television world. And he came in to talk about his work as a songwriter and also how the effects of AI are affecting both the music and the television world, the film world, and affecting all intellectual property. We had a really fascinating discussion. Grew up in Orange County, started listening to punk rock music, which became like my thing, which led me to Los Angeles to see shows, bands. I mean, there was a big scene in Orange County as well. And then I started getting into uh, playing in bands and stuff. So I thought, well, you know, I'll just move, move to LA. And that's what I did. Um, started playing in bands out there, you know, got into the local scenes. You know, I was kind of, you know, mixing rock and punk and doing that sort of thing. Got to a pretty good place with one of my bands. You know, that led to making records and being now more of a professional musician, um, which kind of changed everything. And so I continued with that. 
and uh, this is probably mid '90s, you know. So I was involved in that whole, you know, uh, Seattle scene that was going on. You know, that was all kind of punk based anyway. Started doing the touring, getting agents, all the, uh, you know, A and R guys, all the stuff that you do when you're, you know, thinking, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. Well, you're there. It didn't exactly. It wasn't exactly what I thought it was. Touring was a lot harder on our end, you know, smaller budgets and stuff. Even when, when you know, I had the major record deal, um, it was still tough touring all the time, being away from home. And, you know, and so these are all new experiences that you're learning as you're going on. I was a little bit, it wasn't like I was 18. I was in my mid-20s by the time all this stuff was happening. So, so all that stuff was tough. You know, it, it was something I loved to do and wanted to do. It, I realized that songwriting was really my passion. And so that's kind of what, you know, what drove me. And so with the Los Angeles thing, there was right in the midst of all that thing. Obviously, everybody knows the story of, you know, the Seattle scene blowing out. And then you had like American Idol and all these new television shows and things that were coming up and uh, changing the way things were being done. Now they were selling you know, bands over television. And it wasn't about like touring bands and putting them on, you know, MTV or whatever happened to be the thing in the day. Uh, so all those things changed. And what it did is put a lot of musicians out of work because, you know, artists weren't going to walk in and sign some crazy contract to go and be on a TV show that was going to own you outright, no matter what you did. I mean, it was hard enough signing the deals with the with the record labels, you know, at that time. So all these things were playing, you know, into what eventually led to my uh, exit from Los Angeles. And and what happened was, you know, when all of that stuff started happening, of course, you know, with actors being out of work because of reality television and with musicians being out of work because of, you know, reality television, basically, you got a lot of parties going on in Los Angeles, a lot of free time for people. And they're worried about their careers and they're worried about where their life's going to go now that everything's changing on them. The horizon's different. So what do you do? You know, you get into your bad habits and that's what happened to me. I ended up really struggling with it, you know, was tired of just trying to quit doing what I was doing. And uh, my dad, who's in the business as well, um, had just bought this, what he called a retirement property in Lockhart, Texas. At the time, I'd been going in out of working in the movie business because I need to make money. So as a musician, you know what, I'll just go into what my dad does, you know, but I went into art department, special effects, stuff like that. So I was doing that on and off. So he told me about it. And uh, I talked to a few friends and they were saying, you know, I know Lockhart, Texas. They shoot movies out there and commercials and the barbecue's great. And I was shocked that people from Los Angeles knew about this little town. And I thought, well... My dad said, I really, I think you should go out there and uh, take care of, you know, just try and, you know, take care of the property or whatever and just chill out for a while. Moved to Lockhart in the early to mid 2000s, mowed the lawn, hung out. It took me a couple of years to decompress from living in Los Angeles and being involved in all the crazy mental games and things that happen out there. And I did, I decompressed. I realized, you know, I thought about things and, um, realized, you know, you know, what I was doing was a bunch of nonsense and it sort of regrounded me and I really fell in love with the town. In general, it healed me. And so I took that and I said, well, here's an opportunity. Now, what do I want to do? I want to continue playing music. So I played in Austin, uh, did the whole thing all over again for six, 
eight years. And then I ended up back in the same place. Now, you know, the partying wasn't as bad, but, you know, in general, trying to make money as a musician was just as frustrating. Even though Austin, the thing that really drew me here was that it's a place where music will always live because it's a generational thing. Their parents played music, their kids play music, their grandparents play music, you know, and so it stays whether nobody cares what genre or what's the happening thing, they're still going to play in this bar and it's always going to be there. And uh, so I was fascinated by that and I enjoyed the whole experience. But like I said, in the end, it was, again, a struggling musician trying to make uh, money. So cut to the movie business again. Trucks are coming in and out of Lockhart. I'm watching them do it. I know the whole thing because I've been worked in the business when I was back in L.A. And uh, I thought, am I going to go back and work in that business? The reason why I left it in the first place is because it's 12-hour days minimum. Then it got up to 15, 16 hours a day before Union stepped in and said, hey, this is getting crazy. Everybody's doing 15, 16-hour days all of a sudden, you know. So it's real life-sucking work. That's what got me out of it. But since I wasn't doing music so much, I wandered my way back into that. And I've spent a lot of, uh, you know, time working on shows here and uh, doing special effects mostly. Uh, and that's kind of where, you know, what, uh, where I'm at now. I wanted to, you know, find a music scene here in Lockhart. You know, my friends, you know, what I would talk to in the business, they were like, just go play at the local bar. Just go do this. They always tell you that sort of thing. So I did, um, and this was around the time when you you were here, um, right right before we we met. And I was playing bars, and you know, uh, played the local bar. No one understood. It was in those days. It was just pretty much a country barbecue town. So playing in the bars and hearing comments like "your music makes me want to go home and shoot my dog" was interesting. Let's say in the beginning, you know, that was um, a comment. Fascinating. That was a comment you would get. Right? Yes, yeah, so I was playing and I sat at the bar and I was talking to this guy and he goes, "Your music makes me want to go home and shoot my dog." And the funny thing about somebody <laughs> saying that to me is that it was I was so happy to hear it because because it got to him. You know, I mean, he could have said your music sucks or whatever, but he he said something epic like that, which I knew was epic as soon as I heard it. So I kept trying to do it, trying to do it. They weren't open to any of the stuff we were trying to do. And that was a big part of the struggle, you know. Uh, Yeah. And I feel like it was it just hadn't been done in a long time. You know, I've I've heard of concert series happening, you know, throughout the years. But like here. Yeah, in yeah. Lockhart, like a jazz night or something. But I feel like I don't think any, as far as I know or you know, that, that there wasn't like a club mentality of alternative uh, music or that type of thing, right. you know. So we started trying it, you know. Exactly right. And I think I we, we both did this, but we talked about, you know, uh, the history of Lockhart, you know. And I did hear uh, from people a lot about, you know, uh, Hoot Nanny's here and even Willie Nelson playing here and like, you know, and I can imagine that back in the day in the, you know, the Terlingua, the, um, you know, all the, the spots that they play around here that are, you know, off the beaten path. But, um, and I wonder how much of that was going on then, but that's more of a Texas thing. So it's yeah. not, it's obviously, we are kind of more of an extension of Austin at this point. So it's, you know, becoming more metropolitan or something. Yeah, recently. Yes, yeah, and I, recently. I think, I think that is, I mean, from what I've 
by talking to people on this show and just being, you know, in the music community, it seems as if it was kind of like I came out here because it was affordable and I could live as an artist, live the lifestyle I wanted to. And I've, I'm hearing that a lot from Austin musicians that have moved here because the the prices went up in Austin by just property taxes. So if they were renting, they couldn't afford their rent because the landlords were like, I can't afford my taxes. So they were coming out here. That happened a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, and it's a good thing if we, you know, can keep it. I think we were blessed that, yeah. that we had the migration that we did. Yeah. And it too. was funny yeah. because this, I got a call early on and, and I'll never forget my friend um, telling me that, uh, have you seen the, the Chronicle article and the the Austin Chronicle article article was all about artists and musicians moving to Lockhart. Yeah. So I feel like once you put that into the ether, you know, and and you're talking about it, that it actually happened, you know. It did, a, yeah. You know, it's, it's true. There are so many artists and musicians and, like, super talented people that have showed up here. And there's a bunch of secret agents that are here, too, that are, you know, really well known artists and and they love it out here you know yeah it's it's fascinating to see um especially since we we were kind of birds in the wilderness for a while. <laughs> you are tried. not kidding <laughs> i will tell you i did not see this coming I at didn't all yeah and what's weird is that for you and i the town grew up to our situation in a way, you know, we yeah. were trying to make that happen, but the town just kind of did it for us, you know, in a way. Yeah, well, I feel like it's weird. We weren't restaurateurs, you know, but like, yeah. or you know, we would, but people that could see that vision came out here and yeah. said, well, oh, these buildings are great for that kind of thing. You but know? their background is very similar to us. They're, yeah. they're still friends of artists. Yeah. Chefs are artists. So mm -hmm. chefs came down here and, they had their own impact. They brought all their their peeps, yeah. and they came here. They bought houses here, mm -hmm. you know, it's, because they it's, could, you know, yeah. And that's yeah. The thing. and they got in at the right time because, I, uh, uh, going back to that Chronicle article, they actually had a second one at some point, but it kind of like, like I said, made it real and helped like people go, oh yeah, Lockhart, Lockhart, yeah. Because still, like, I have friends that are still trying to look for, they're leaving Los Angeles, obviously. You know, yeah. there's so many of those people that are doing that. And they come here, tour through here or whatever. And they're like, oh, this is great. And then they have a kid or something. They want to get out of there. And they want to get somewhere where their kid can go to a good school or whatever. Yeah. You know, how crazy it is in California. They'll come out here and all, they love Lockhart. And they'll they'll sell it on it. But it's hard for them to get away from city. Yeah. I know you know, you so oh, for me, I was lucky. I was forced into being outside of Austin or might probably be in South Austin right now, you know? But do you think, and I'm curious because we had a similar, you know, we were living in cities and then yeah. went out to the country town. What are your thoughts on, on it now? Do you prefer it or? I absolutely think it saves my life. Not only when I got here did it save my life, but on a regular basis, the fact that I can come to a place now, I'm lucky because I have a place near, you know, we, we got in early. I got a place right near the downtown. I can ride my bike around. So when I come home, you know, I can just chill out, ride my bike to any store, see people I know, talk to people I know and 
how much can you pay for an experience like that? You can't. Pay no, for no. It. And I'm you sure. Can't, and it can't, it has to happen naturally. You can't force the issue. It's weird. So I will come back from like months of just torture or whatever, working and uh, doing what you need to do to get by. And uh, then I'll be like so happy to get here. I'll get on, I'll ride around, I'll like exactly what I was just saying, talk to people, and it's a calming experience for me. And to be able to have that in your life in general is so necessary, you know? I mean, oh, yeah, you, you I think so. You need to have an oasis or some spot where you can just kind of like let it go. And and being away from this, the city is, you don't realize how much the city is living on you until you leave. I agree. Then yeah. you realize you start feeling it all fall off you, you know? Yeah. And you realize how oppressive being in an environment like that where you're, in, and especially like in New York, like East Coast kind of things where you're just forced out of your, into the, you know, the, the world. Yeah, right. And it's nice to be able to, when you, when you leave your situation that's, you know, whatever you do to get by and you want to relax, you can, which yeah. is rare. Yeah, you know? I agree. You know, and, and having a community yeah. of a community fr- friends is- and neighbors too, you know, which is like you can't find that as easily in the suburb cities, you know. Like so the- one of the thing, one of the the simpler things I realized uh, when when I first moved here, as I was coming out, you know, shirking off the the city life, was people waving to me as I was walking down the street in their cars, you know. Yeah, and it's such a simple thing, but it's something you'll never experience in a city. I mean, but here, you know, you drive by, someone makes eye contact, they wave. Again, it's not something you can make happen. We're just lucky that it happened for us where now we've got a lot of people who are like-minded yeah. and uh, makes our life more of a, you know, enjoyable experience. I, I agree. And I feel like it also allows us to do what we do by intermingling with people who are doing it as well. It's a gift and I use every minute of it when I when I have like, you know, uh, for instance, now talking about the business that I'm in, we're on strike right now. Yeah, you're working uh, on the, you're like the leader of special effects, right? For Well, I, I do, I'm a special effects technician technically, but okay. I do run set now and again. Um, you know, I'm pretty qualified tech, you know, special effects guy, you know, I mean, there's always a lot of learn in that business. You know, we work with explosives and all kinds of stuff. So there's always like things, but yeah, I've been doing it for about 10 years now and, and I got a pretty good handle on it. I've been working on for the past five years on fear the walking dead. And, uh, that started out here in season four and ran for three or four years. And then we went out to Georgia, Savannah to shoot the last season, season eight, you know, as we're finishing season eight, um, you know, they always have the big meeting and we're talking about the show and all that. And so the PMs come out and everybody and the directors and they're talking about the strikes. First thing they bring up the writer strikes coming because at, at the end of the show. So we've been running this every year. We know we're going to work on the next season because they sign it before we leave. So it's like very, you know, like, OK, we've got three months off. we got to go back to work for eight months, you know. So this was the final season. So they had the big talk and that was the the huge thing. They have other projects, but we can't start them. The writers are going on strike. So it's going to be, you know, pretty much a done deal for us right now. Um, they're pulling all projects. And so we're like, okay, how long is it going to last? And we all needed a break anyway, because we've been on a long run. 
So we took it and then, um, then we realized, you know, okay, yeah, it's going to be like three or four months, which would be a normal break. But, uh, you know, this, this whole AI thing is real stickler. We're, we're coming into a zone when the world is constantly spinning up with it. Yeah. You can't keep up with it. And people's appetite can't keep up. The technology can't keep up with people's appetite. It's this point we're so spoiled. I mean, we can hold a phone in our hand that will do miraculous things. I mean, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it if you told me, you know, I'm the same way. So, you know, we, we get a, an appetite for it. We want it to do more, better and do more. And, and so that's the birthplace of AI. I want them to think for me. And so now we're, we're into that world and it's affecting entertainment. They've been doing it in music for oh, yeah. a while, you know, Definitely, but uh, yeah. now it's, it's becoming your likeness and all of that. So the, those rules are being dealt with right now, which is a sticking point, which is going to push the strike longer. It's not just a tool like the Internet where you look something up. It's creating. Yes. And that's thinking. the power of it. It's thinking and creating. Yes. And which is starts to step on the toes of the people that do that. Absolutely. So yeah. one of the examples I saw, and I'll start with music because that's usually what I already, you know, are paying attention to that first. And uh, somebody had recreated, I, I think it was Eminem for one of his songs. Not only did he, if I remember correctly, create Eminem, but he created like the rap, the whole thing. He didn't write anything or whatever, but what they did is like in a Google kind of way, they said, we want you to emulate this. Right. They were asking him about it and he said, oh, well, it's basically, it's the Wild West. The laws haven't caught up. It's true. He's right by that. And so that's kind of what it is right now where they're afraid once they, you know, let the genie out of the bottle, just like file sharing. That was another thing. This is the new Napster type of idea. The record label's refuse to budge on or take it seriously they they didn't take it seriously they didn't think that it was going to be a thing that they were going to have to deal with because i rem- i was on a band on sony at the time and i remember them just being very flippant about it you know there is a ton of work involved in it and when you become a professional that's your business and you have a right to protect it yeah i hear you and that's what what's going on now they're striking to prevent another you know, opportunity where the business owner who owns the streaming platform will cut cost at any corner as long as the customer keeps paying, which is what happened with the, with um, music. Is that, that correct, or is I, am I? I, I think that's pretty much the the groundwork of almost all of these things. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I think it's it it's business like. They just want their fair share and they want to make sure that their creative rights are protected. Let me let me relate it to something that maybe we can kind of, uh, you know, simplify it. Yeah. So, you know, like when when I was playing in Los Angeles, we had like, you know, the people that came to you like, hey, I, I got this commercial uh, and I, and I used Bob Dylan to, you know, to get everything started, but now I can't use the rights. Can you just write something like it and knock it off? Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of companies that do that. Oh, that primarily. Yes. And just knock everything off. Now, do you get paid anything for that? No, you know, they, they change a few chords and, and whatever. And now you're, you know, you're screwed out of the possibility of making that money. 
that's the simple thing. You know, you want to make sure that people aren't going to be knocking your stuff off or, or, you know, you end up in Taiwan with some crazy, stupid looking AI version of yourself selling, you know, <laughs> it's true. It's true, uh, you know, uh, tuna fish or yeah, yeah. whatever, I you agree. know, we forget there's a whole other big world out there that's going to have an appetite for whatever this is going Absolutely. to generate. Yeah. And, and I, now that, with the internet know, and all that, that's, Oh, it's it's insane. Yeah. I, I I mean, when I went to go see the latest Indiana Jones movie, and they have they have you know used AI to de-age Harrison Ford as as a younger Indiana Jones. Just had a discussion with my friend about this, and they were asking Harrison, well, you know, are they going to make more Indiana Joneses now? Because you can be you know thirty nine forever, and he was like, I would prefer that not to be the case. But he's like, after he's gone. It's a, it's a rights game. Yes. You know, which is weird. You know, 300 years from now, their kids will go up watching, you know, the same dude we watched. Yeah. Without a, you know, legal representation of the image. It's like, it's like Prince. It's like who, who gets control of yes. the, of the rights. Yes. You know? Harrison Ford, I'm sure is already thinking about, well, I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah. But then it's just a, you know, hopefully they'll honor that, you know. Michael Jackson. Right. Back in the day when they brought him back, remember how we everybody struggled with that? Like, is that okay for the wasn't it was it a Super Bowl? Something like that. You know? Yeah. So they No, it was doing, Tupac too. Yes, Tup Tupac. Yeah. Right. That was nuts. Yeah. So every remember everybody was like, wow, that, I I don't know what to think about it. I liked it because I got to see him, but Yeah, you know, that's how that's the cognitive dissonance they were that, torn. I think that everybody's feeling about this because yeah. it is an Orwellian type of situation like machines are you know we used to like you said we we couldn't imagine the iphone when we were in fourth grade you yeah. know the real crazy thing is the the, the flying packs oh yeah I've seen those that. are yeah. a legitimate real thing that's like iron man you i know? just exactly yeah. i just saw people doing races oh yeah i think our my kids are gonna be looking at like a world that we couldn't even it's like the difference between my dad, who grew up in the 1930s and, and like, the, the 90s, you know? Like, when yeah. I was showing him, like, what a computer could do. And exactly. he saw he saw the first computer at the office. Yeah, That were massive. No, they were, like, these... They took up rooms of yeah, warehouse buildings, you know, to, yeah, to process calculations, you know? It's so insane, and I really think it's, like, we're on the precipice of that. I mean, everybody can feel it. And hopefully, the strike will be able to least lock down some rights for the human rights. That's all and they the, got to the do because no one know? can predict what's going to happen with it. So I feel like it's, again, it's always a corporation that's making a lot of money that doesn't want to give up a couple of percentage points, yeah. you know, in royalties or whatever to compensate artists, you know, yeah. whether it's writers, musicians, you know, uh, voiceover people, all of them, you know, they, you know, they got to get good health care and they got to get paid, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it should be a simple human right in general, you know, but it's always seems to be a struggle to kind of get that done, you yeah. know, in every level of life. But, uh, yeah, I really I hope that uh, they get their fair share. And honestly, I don't even care if they're trying to get more than they're worth because that's speculative. I think that the if you look at how much money is being made, then asking for a little bit more of it doesn't seem like something that I'm going to be mad about, you know? Well, especially if it's there. And I mean, it, I have but to... But I'm really for protecting their 
their rights, yeah. like not just the right to be paid for their work, but like yeah. for their, you know, you sign a, it, it reminds me of, of the record deal thing. When we were, we came in, okay, we're going to get this percentage of the record that Perfect we're helping example. make. But then it's now a 360 deal to work with Universal, whoever, they take all of your stuff. Yes. And this would be like, AI is like, well, we got your image and we're going to make whatever we want. We would have walked out of any office that tried to give us that deal Absolutely. back in those days. Yeah. So, Absolutely. you know, yeah. I understand how all of that uh, that is now. And it's just. A, but you see the progression, right? Uh, oh, yeah. That's what and I think that that's for. how you relate it. You know, you we because you and I both know how much money we were always being tried to give for signing the record deal or the publishing deal. Yeah. Publishing is another thing, remember? I mean, having to give up, you know, half of your songs for a chunk of money and then they were going to make, you know, same kind of record deal thing where they're going to make all their money back from the first money that comes in. Then you start getting paid, you know? Yeah, then you start splitting it. With Let's say you've got a 20-year-old actor who wants to become this or, or a really great writer, and the deal they get offered is that instead, because they got a machine that, yeah. as far as they can tell, can give you the algorithm of what's going to hit. Because yeah. they've programmed it that way for ten years, and everybody's and a zombie. You know, this I mean, is I don't for know. us a societal problem because we. Uh, I remember uh, we as artists in our community uh, in the, I don't know if it was late '80s, early '90s, were uh, big on fighting for keeping arts in schools. Yeah. And we everybody was contributing, doing shows, you know, trying to do whatever. It was a, you know, thing because they were the they were trying to reduce electives and and uh, anything that just wasn't your your basic school curriculum, you know, mm -hmm. and there was no expansion on arts, no, no help kids who wanted to be artists, arts. So I find that's like a, the the biggest problem with the way we look at things, how unimportant art is. And yeah. the more that those people say, oh, well, you know, they don't teach my kids school. They're, they're not in my kids. Not, they don't understand it because they're not being. Well, if you don't form the, if you don't, if we don't inform the creative brain, AI is going to be able to take all the math jobs. Yeah. It's taking away the power. It's taking away innovation. To yes. Me. It's just taking away yeah. the power so that they don't have to deal with the artist mentality. They don't have to deal with, yeah. you know, but it's been working this way for a long time. And as you know, like in the, in the eighties and the nineties, the artist, it was still an artist driven business in the music business because they were finding something that hit with people. Absolutely. And that was right alongside of the pop groups that they knew would demographically work for certain age groups. But then after 2000s, it really shifted towards just like, you're going to fit into this mold. Remember people asking yes. you like, what genre are you? Which is like, you came up learning how to not be in a genre. And all of a sudden, if you didn't have a genre, you didn't have a job. Yes. You know, which is yeah. overnight. Yeah, yeah, you 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 didn't have a job. You didn't have any support. I mean, like a perfect example would be when Nirvana came in and just laid down the playing field. Like they literally just lopped the head off of the music business at that point, and it completely shifted. When I was playing punk in punk bands and going to see punk bands, you could have never convinced me in my life that punk would go mainstream. Yeah. I that mean. it would be the next big thing. And the fact that it happened 10 years or how many ever years later after the, you know, well, I mean, I guess, you know, somewhere in there, five, six, seven, eight years later, it became a multi-million dollar business, punk rock. Yeah. And that, so when your whole, you know, uh, anti-lifestyle becomes mainstream, 
it homogenizes you. Yeah, I you know? agree. So yeah. now it's hard for it, you to stand it, out because everybody's doing the same thing that you're doing. You that's know? the word homogenization is is really yeah. the thing that AI is ushering in too. You yeah. know, it's like, or that the human businesses kind of capitalized on and now AI can just step in and look at that homogenization and say, well, we can do that all day. It's because really number crunching and laziness because this, and I'll relate this to something that you know, is dealing with, with an art, artist-driven environment that we grew up in they couldn't stand dealing with artists because yeah. artists are crazy people. Yeah. You know, so they were trying to look for a way to fix that. They had to coddle them. They had to do whatever. I mean, could you imagine dealing with Guns N' Roses back in the day? This is more of a later yeah. thing, but you know, they're crazy. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, they found a way to stop dealing with crazy people. They just said, you know what, we'll just make it up and tell them what to do. And that's kind of what they did with American Idol and all that. We'll just sign them. They're going to do exactly what we tell them to do. Right. There's no more like, so what do you want to do? Do you have your, you know, or your, you know, where they were selling the music, like you said, to the people first. And, yeah. you know, there was that connection, you know. Yeah, right. And, and I was like, were... how quick can I make the money? And and I'll just sell it right off. You know, well, they... they know they have the demographics. <laughs> they know this type of thing. And they're looking for something that built fits an in. audience. Now with AI, they just program. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. you, I really believe that, you know, it's we're facing I can't even that. imagine where it's going to go. Yeah, I think I'm it's going to be Blade Runner. <laughs> I agree with you, which is so weird, but I think it's true, man. Replicants are coming. Yes, we're the replicants going. Replicants are coming. We'll just have to get our flying car and just go yeah. take off and see what we can do. Dude, fit. I, I got to do the jetpack first, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Torpedo out in the asphalt seas, lost in endless shades of red and green. You know exactly what I mean. It's just another day. Another day Trying to keep the lights on Hear me now Hear me now Under no great illusion Maybe it's better that way Everything moves on, but fades to gray Don't worry baby, it's not too late It's just another day Another day Trying to keep the 
78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Well of Foods, Thunderbird Bars, The Little Alamo Airbnb, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, Two Wishes Ranch Events, Birdie House Airbnb. In-kind sponsors are The Rock House Airbnb, Williams Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glades Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, and Danny Manning. In-studio performances by Jack Burton and um, other music by myself and Chris Dye. Thank you to our contributor, Will Rhodes. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thanks for listening. A gift from you.